0: Let's get right to it. We want to talk about Jesus, his so-called friends, and the drama we find ourselves in. So, you know, we use the term drama, don't we, to describe the situations that um, involve some conflict in our lives. Uh, People taking sides, you know. We We got a drama going at work. We got a drama back home with Uncle Joe and the family. We got a drama playing out in our country right now. And we all know that dramas can get ugly. Um, Making sense of these dramas when you're in the middle of them can be confusing and you kind of got to be on your toes. I wonder, I think this is why we binge on Netflix dramas, right? (laughs) To refine our ability to navigate the dramas that we find ourselves in. I know the movie *Castaway* is my like defining drama, and I watch it every year. It, it was so helpful to me when I went through a period of major disruption. Not to mention the one of the leads is named Wilson, albeit <laughs> a volleyball, but. He gets bounced around a little bit. But um, during communion, every Sunday we have communion, sometimes called the Lord's Supper in a Catholic venue. It's called the Mass or the Eucharist. Um, During communion, we are actually presented with one of life's most vexing dramas that often pops up around us and that may often involve us. The original setting for the communion meal is very dramatic. It's uh, called the Last Supper, And it's when Jesus was being betrayed and the betrayal was already underway. He gathered his disciples in a large upper room where a meal, the Passover meal had been prepared and said the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. That's the communion meal that we'll be celebrating shortly. And the communion meal is like a represented drama That is meant to shine light on the perplexing turn of events that we find ourselves in. The weird dynamics... When a group is threatened by escalating conflicts and it begins to organize almost magically around an innocent victim or minority group that is suddenly thought to be guilty of taboo crimes and if enough people either join the accusing mob or are silent while it's forming, the unlucky one is expelled and that generates a false peace until the next Scapegoating event, we call it. The Last Supper is preceded in all four of the Gospels, and we often don't join these two suppers. The Last Supper is preceded by the Next to the Last Supper. The scapegoat mechanism in the Next to the Last Supper is gaining energy like a tropical storm out in the ocean that's organizing itself into a hurricane. And in the next to the last supper, Jesus is on the in the West Bank, on his way to Jerusalem, about an hour about a a mile and a half from Jerusalem. There he is in Bethany is the name of the town, and he's a celebrity dinner guest at a prominent leader named Simon's house. Not Simon Peter, but a different Simon, a prominent person in town. But though he's the celebrity dinner guest, as often happens to celebrities, (laughs) he's under growing suspicion and scrutiny by his guests, all prominent men, in the middle of the dinner, an uninvited woman enters the room to anoint him with expensive perfume that's on his head. The smell fills the room. You can't miss what's going on. Suddenly, the scrutiny that was brewing in the group and focused on Jesus, the kind of negative attention on Jesus, it turns on this woman and a accusations are made against this woman that she's wasting what could have been sold and given to the poor. This is a high-class dinner. These people had a lot of money to give to the poor, and so they're, you know, they're not giving their money, feeling bad about it, and so they project that onto the woman, and she's now suddenly the focal point of the group's hostility and anger, and she's in a position of threat. We, We missed this in the in the next to the Last Supper, let's say you're covering a political rally for the Grand Rapids Press and a politician is whipping up the crowd against immigrants and the lying fake news media, those bad people over there and there you are in the press corps pen and your skin is darker than the white crowd And you're wearing a hijab in deference to your Muslim grandmother. And it feels like it's a dicey situation. Well, the woman at the Bethany dinner was in one of those, like, what's going on in this group here? It was a dicey situation. And at that moment, Jesus intervenes and says, Leave her be. Why do you subject her to abuse? I'm quoting directly now. She has done me a beautiful deed, and wherever my gospel is taught, what she has done will be remembered, duly noted. The gospel, the message of Jesus, is not about going along with the group when it turns its hostility on someone. The gospel is about aligning with God who aligns with potential scapegoats like the woman did for Jesus, And then like Jesus did for the woman, it's all working out the way it's supposed to in the next to Last Supper. But then we have the Last Supper, the original setting for our communion rite. And Jesus is now celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. All of the disciples have pledged their loyalty to Jesus. But they are confused. They don't really know what's happening around them. It's not going according to plan. They're, they're worried because powerful forces are organizing against Jesus in Jerusalem, not the least of which is the Roman occupiers, who are always threatened by any Jewish leaders who can gather a crowd like Jesus can, and they're associated with Jesus so they feel in danger themselves by what he's doing. None of those disciples in the Last Supper show the understanding of what's going on or the courage of the West Bank woman who anointed Jesus in the next of the Last Supper. It's a painful scene. I can remember needing to lead communion as a pastor and looking up the Last Supper scenes and trying to get the wording right. And It's an awkward scene. It's a scene of negative vibrations. It's kind of unpleasant. You have Jesus under death threats. He's a danger to the empire. He's a danger to the priestly class that is aligned with Rome in the capital. There are religious um, accusations swirling that he's a blasphemer. By this time, actually, the Pharisees, whom he was very critical of, are his like defenders in Jerusalem in the book of Acts emphasizes the positive role of the Pharisees in the Jesus movement but now he's in this swirling controversy and you have his so-called friends who've been pledging their loyalty but they're not right now ready to pay the price of that loyalty and they're afraid for themselves and they're pulled by a different center of gravity than the center of gravity that Jesus represents so in this scene, it's again, it's presented to Christians every Sunday when they celebrate communion. Any minority person could identify with Jesus in this drama in a heartbeat. You know, if you've lived your entire life under the scrutiny and suspicion that minorities always live under, wondering if your majority friends, when push comes to shove, will stand up for you, if it means risking their own skin... Or if you're, say, a woman in a male-dominated workspace, maybe you can identify, you know, you speak up with conviction in a staff meeting, and always there's a male colleague who brushes you off saying, we don't have to get emotional Will anyone in that group state the obvious on your behalf and speak up and say, why is it passion when a man says it and it carries the day, but when a woman says it, it's emotion and it's dismissed? And then a week later, the man takes credit for the idea he dismissed in the meeting with the big boss. Or if you are gay in a family with religious objections to your marriage, you know like how crazy making it gets when relatives who privately claim to support you in your new marriage won't stand up for you if it costs them anything. They won't insist, of course, their partner is welcome for Easter dinner with the family. And if not, then well, I won't come. Like, How hard is that? In so many dramas that we face, we're either in the position of Jesus, we're under threat or accusation by a group, or we're in the position often of the so-called friends, wanting to support him, but waffling over the cost. This is a very uncomfortable rite that we celebrate and remember in communion of all the different kinds of dramas that we find ourselves in. These are like the psychological quicksand dramas. If we're in the scapegoated position, we can actually mirror the accusations of the mob and they become our own self-accusations. We internalize the guilt that's being projected on us. Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a bad feeling. If we are bystanders, when something like this is going on, we can mirror the mob and assume the guilt of the suspect people, or we might dimly recognize they're innocent, but we fear losing our standing with the bigger group, and we keep quiet. We feel bad about ourselves. You know, in the middle of our contemporary scapegoat dramas, what's really going on can feel so murky while it's happening, opaque, confusing. But here, when it's replayed in the communion rite, it's clear. You know, uh, if you see a really good movie that moves you, you may see your own life more clearly as you're watching the movie. Like things that are currently confusing about the circumstances of your life, they they come clear through the movie. Well, what wasn't clear to the disciples, because they were in the psychological quicksand, because the scapegoat fog machine was clouding their perceptions, is like a, a wooden spoon that was scrambling their brains on the stove, is now presented in bold relief, in the light of resurrection. Because people only celebrate this meal in light of the resurrection. I mean, there were thousands of Jewish men before Jesus who were lynched by Rome and forgotten. We don't remember their names. We don't hear their stories. Nothing is told about their last suppers. His death is only remembered, His Last Supper is only recalled, because rumors of His resurrection were not stamped out. And these rumors of resurrection kind of jolt us into seeing what we have so often missed, that the scapegoats surrounded by the so-called friends who were sucked into the confusion of the crowd are actually and clearly innocent. And maybe like we should wake up and say so in the dramas that we find ourselves in. So gathered around the communion table, we see it clearly. Jesus was subjected, our Jesus that we love and sing about, was subjected to false accusations, some of which even Jesus may have it internalized. He was never more vulnerably and fully human than he was naked. On the cross and on the cross he was surrounded by charges he'd been beaten and he was weakened and and the people beating him were calling him a blasphemer and this thing and that and what human being wouldn't internalize those accusations in a period of weakness and feel that oh I must be abandoned by God too Jesus experienced that gathered around the communion table We see that he was betrayed, our Jesus was betrayed by his so-called friends, and maybe sometimes we are the so-called friends of people treated like he was. This cup, Jesus says, at the end of the meal is my blood poured out for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There was a brouhaha that you wouldn't even care about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. I think it was the Catholic Church reinstituted this phrase, for the many it had been taken out and it was, you know like oh we can't change the words of the mass or whatever but you no know, the catholic church said no it, the many is what he said the many is what's in the record let's include the many he poured out his blood for the many who are the many well the many who get pulled unwittingly into scapegoating mobs Assuming the guilt of the victims, the many who stand by mute when they should speak up. In other words, us sometimes. And the, mon- the many are also the many victims of scapegoating events. And Jesus, before his death, talks about the many who went before him from from Cain and Abel to Jeremiah and Zechariah and all the prophets who got the same kind of treatment when they were upsetting their communities. So many others who were thought to be guilty at the time, but only the vindication of God and history revealed their innocence. In other words, us sometimes and isn't it interesting the mob is ignorant of its collective guilt and the scapegoated people are often ignorant of their actual innocence but the drama of the last supper clarifies this it it reveals what's going on and now this is all shining light on the nature of the spirit that Jesus is releasing into the world, it's clear now The Gospels are constantly talking about the interaction of two Spiritual forces like superhuman phenomenon That are in conflict throughout the Gospels One of these for, uh, forces is manifest sometimes Especially when humans gather in crowds and groups In Hebrew the word is satan, just means accusation and the other spiritual power is from God to counter this spirit. And it's called, named by Jesus, paraclete, which means defender of the accused. So we're going to have an end with a little meditation. So I invite you to get comfortable in your seats there, maybe if you feel comfortable closing your eyes. And I'm going to lead a guided meditation that invites us to picture the Spirit of Jesus like a dove throughout his ministry. So remember the Spirit first comes to Jesus at his baptism in the form of a dove alighting on him as he stands in the water. So just picture that, if you will. Jesus coming out of the crowd, submitting himself to baptism under John the Baptist, standing in the shallow Jordan River. And picture that dove that we're told alighted on Jesus. Now you could picture that dove as a white dove. You could picture that dove as a ebony black dove. You could picture that dove reflecting the colors of the rainbow. The record leaves it open. So you decide how you want to picture that dove that is alighting on Jesus in the Jordan River. Just give a little time now. Focus on that picture in your mind's eye. And now we know that by that same Spirit, the defender of the cues, Jesus named him, Jesus does his works of compassion and advocacy. So he's seeking out the least, the last and the lost to include them. So picture the Spirit as a dove following Jesus around, you know, the dusty roads of the Galilee where he's going from village to village crowded streets of Jerusalem on the high holy days when he's surrounded by people picture the spirit as a dove over him guiding him and now it's good friday jesus is on the cross And at the very end, it says, he entrusts his spirit into the loving care of his Abba Father with the words, into your hands, I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last. So picture the spirit like a dove just disappearing into the dark sky of that afternoon when the sun was covered. And now if you will picture the spirit near the empty tomb of Jesus while Mary is talking to someone she thinks is the gardener in this garden graveyard and then she realizes who it really is and she cries raboni when he says her name Mary just picture the spirit outside that tomb And now if you will picture the spirit as a dove near you right where you are sitting it could be hovering over your head it could be at your feet it could be perched on your knee just picture the spirit with you and hear the words of Jesus receive the spirit use it to forgive And don't be afraid. Amen.